better or worse, the relationship between science, film, and media has long been intertwined. We're here to dissect that relationship, turning it inside out for all to see. And throughout the years, one truth has revealed itself. You don't need good science to make a good movie. But it sure makes it better. Hi everyone and welcome to the Real Science Podcast, the podcast where three highly qualified professionals pick a movie and pick apart the science. My name's Kenan Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. And my name is Michael Pace. Ladies and gentlemen, it's wonderful to have you here this evening. We are a podcast that watches movies and then we discuss the science that goes into those movies. Why it may be wrong, right, or somewhere in the middle. Everything he said is correct and ladies and gentlemen, this week we watched the movie Zodiac. And I know what you're thinking. There's no science in the movie Zodiac. <laughs> well, you're th- th- that's where you're wrong. There's yeah. tons of science in the movie Zodiac, and we're going to talk all about it. Before we talk all about it, there are some important things that you should know as a listener about our lovely program. And that is that all of our personalities have been designed and designated by the celestial bodies that... <laughs> Float around us. That's true. Mm-hmm. This is exactly how the disclaimers should go. In the void. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we are not responsible for any of our actions, uh, and nor will we take into court for the use of the song Third Eye Blimp by Otis McDonald um, as the <laughs> intro and outro to our show. Thank you, Because uh, we are not going to be held responsible. You can blame the sun. Uh, for me personally, mm-hmm. um, the sun dictates all of my actions, and therefore, I am a child. Additionally... <laughs> We're going to curse. <laughs> okay, there we go. There it and is. And then we're going to curse some more. And then next we're going to talk about astrology. And then next we're going to really get into the some deep dark minutia of the content that you crave, which in this case is the is the movie Zodiac. And then after you listen to us, you can ponder your own existence. I love that. But whether or not uh, whether or not your personality is dictated by the celestial bodies. I love that discussing the concept of astrology is a disclaimer. Like people need to be mm-hmm. ready for us to do that. You know, I that's mean, that's why I'm why I'm doing the it. People Sean. need to know that they have no control over their personalities or futures. Interesting. That's exactly right. It's all dictated by the stars. Carl Sagan once said, hmm. "Astrology is real." <laughs> <laughs> That is a that is a direct quote from Carl Sagan. And then, and then he said, "Neil deGrasse Tyson is my son." It's my son, Neil deGrasse Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, he actually said, "Neil deGrasse Tyson is my father." Whoa! Oh, time oh, paradox. Whoa. Uh, Terminator rules. Uh. <laughs> All right, I think we can. We, you think I we think should talk about the movie? I think we can get on with it. That's fine. I mean, we do, before we talk about the movie, well, we have to determine who is going to talk about the movie. And in order to do that, we can't leave this up to the stars. We have to leave it up to the hands of fate through correct mere chance. By rolling D20s. (laughs) (laughs) And I am exempt from rolling a D20 this week. That is because I did the plot last time. So good luck with this two hour and 45 minute movie. Doing the plot. Wow. Have fun, a, guys. What a fucking Aries thing to say. All right. You ready, Pace? <laughs> Listen, Kenan. I'm easily irritable, as you know, from reading my, <laughs> <laughs> my fucking horoscope. So why don't you just calm down and roll your D20? Fine, fine. Don't tell me what to do. 
shit. All right. What'd you get? I got a three. I got a 17. All right. Hey, I'm really excited for that you. That is a very high number, by the way. I, I heard you liked the movie Zodiac. I tell us loved it? this movie. It was great. Um, and Kenan. Yeah. We we have lots of astrology to talk about, so if you could do this quickly. Oh. That, that'd don't be great. worry. I'm going to sum this up in about three seconds. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. The entirety of this movie is Jake Gyllenhaal coming out of his shell as a political cartoonist, Robert Graysmith, working at the San Francisco Chronicle, one of the many places that cover the Zodiac killings perpetrated mm. by one Ted Cruz. So we open <sighs> nice. up. Got him. We open up with an attack on uh, two lovers, Darlene Farron and Mike uh-huh. Magoo, with a handgun out in Vallejo, California. This spirals into a series of other murders uh, that are perpetrated by an unknown suspect who goes by the name Zodiac and constantly taunts the press and the police with a series of letters and a series of ciphers that are supposed to give uh, additional clues as to when he will kill again. The reason why I will take a very short amount of time to sum this movie up is because it is the same thing over and over again for two and a half hours. Yep. Yeah, it's actually kind of like watching the same movie twice. Yes. It's really weird. A hundred percent. I mean, I like this film. I mean, we can get into it later. This film was tolerable. It's just about twice as long as I wanted it to be. Jake <laughs> Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, who, as I said, is a political cartoonist at the San Francisco Chronicle. <clears throat> Mark Ruffalo plays Inspector Dave Tashi, uh, who works, I think, for the San Francisco PD. That's Correct. Right. Yes. And Robert Downey Jr. plays Paul Avery, uh, who is uh, a reporter who basically like takes Robert Graysmith under his wing early on during the Zodiac killings. Um, right. And he's an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he's a raging alcoholic and smokes too much, and that's what kills him at the end of the movie. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a real Iron Man, Spider-Man situation. It really is, actually. Jake Gyllenhaal being the, the 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 Spider-Man in this situation, and the and the Iron Man is is now Robert it's Downey the Jr. Iron Man once more. Man, he would have been really good for that role. I don't know why they didn't cast him in that. I wish they had picked for him. Iron Man. Mark Ruffalo yeah. in this place in this case plays the Hulk, but in this case the Hulk is a police officer. Mm-hmm. So in the movie Zodiac, Tashi uh, and then Detectives Armstrong and Mullinax, both played by. Uh, Anthony Edwards, and I think, oh shit, what was it? Elias Codius, that's right, plays uh, Sergeant Mullinax in this. There's a lot of people in this movie. John Carroll Lynch is also in this uh, flick as well, so is Brian that's Cox. True. Anyway, these three detectives are all from different precincts, and they're all trying to track down the Zodiac Killer. During this process, uh, the press is trying to do a little bit of sleuthing themse- uh, their se- themselves, uh, specifically Robert Downey Jr., as we talked about, taking J- uh, Jake Gyllenhaal under his wing. Jake Gyllenhaal basically goes through trying to uh, solve all these ciphers that the Zodiac Killer has been sending to the press. Um, and most of the movie is the police trying to interview suspects and parse out the uh, the evidence and mm-hmm. actually like find a person. And really the take-home message for the rest of the plot is that at some point they interview Arthur Lee Allen, uh, played by John Carroll Lynch. Uh, there seems to be a lot of evidence that he's potentially the Zodiac Killer. And then it kind of spirals off into a montage where nobody's paying attention to the Zodiac Killer anymore because he's been giving out a lot of threats but hasn't actually killed anybody that anybody could prove as of recent. But Robert Graysmith, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake G, 
has become obsessed with figuring out who the Zodiac Killer is. So he's looking at all this evidence. He's doing a bunch of research. He's doing it all, all by, his, by himself. The police don't really want to help him. They're kind of helping him through like very limited means. Uh, it ruins his marriage. His wife leaves him. Uh, he doesn't have access to his children anymore. He eventually writes a book based on all of this and actually incriminates Arthur Lee Allen at, potentially as the Zodiac Killer. The take-home message is, is that he mounts enough evidence to try and show that Arthur Lee Allen is the actual killer, but all of it is labeled as circumstantial. And one of the things that we'll get into in this podcast is that they based a lot of evidence to try and mount, like build this case against him on handwriting and uh, limited limited access to DNA testing and all of these other things that were kind of like flimsy at the time. So it's kind of half an example of like the killer was pretty... It could take advantage of the times pretty well and that we didn't have a lot that we could figure out who it was. Like, we didn't have a lot to go on. Uh, and also, like, eight different police precincts kind of dropping the ball over and over and over again. And then also this, because it was so long, it kind of just faded over time. The case actually got opened up in, like, 2007 or something like that. Uh, and they tried to do a DNA test on Arthur Lee Allen that was like after he's already died. So they can't try him anymore. He actually had a heart attack. Uh, and I think in like 2018, the results of the DNA test were supposed to be released, but I, I haven't seen anything in the news and Wikipedia doesn't have any information on it anymore because I'm not doing the whole fucking plot is that, uh, yeah, no worries. Jakey G <laughs> tried to accuse Lee Allen as the Zodiac killer. And it was basically determined that was, there was too much circumstantial evidence in order to try and incriminate him. So, right. Right. Well, because again, this yeah. took place in the late '60s and and early '70s, right? So, mm-hmm. to give some time context as as to what sort of technology was available at this time, yeah, right, agreed. Forensic, forensic science Dang. technology. That was a great plot summary. I wish the movie was that long. <laughs> yeah, I could not fucking go through it. And there's honestly just too much that happens in the movie that is both like asynchronous and. Kind of like there's actually a good amount in it that's like not important to the plot because it's kind of filler. It kind of dirtles about halfway through, uh, and then goes off on this completely like secondary plot, like second plot, which is Robert about Robert Graysmith and his pursuit of the Zodiac Killer so that he can write his book. And this movie is based on the book Zodiac that was written by the author of the same name. Yeah, it's very repetitive. Okay, so now that we finished the plot. Do you think I'm I'm thinking first maybe we should talk about the uh, handwriting analysis because that's like the biggest forensic test in the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. You guys thinking you guys agree? Okay. I think so. I think so. So one of the main cases that the police were trying to like uh, mount against um, Arthur Lee Allen and just the Zodiac in general were they were trying to do handwriting comparisons because the Zodiac killer was sending handwritten letters to the um news stations Mm -hmm. and he was making these ciphers so they had samples of his handwriting and they figured like hey if we get our suspects then we can get a handwriting sample from them and compare and turns out in the movie it's very inconclusive and they can't really like pin down someone based on the handwriting but i figured we could talk a little bit about like the actual methods behind this i like that yeah so handwriting analysis it's on it's basically like i just said it's just comparing 
um, a handwriting sample from a known individual against an unknown, a sample of unknown origin, and just trying to determine if it's likely that the same person wrote them. That's essentially all they're doing. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of scientific the way that they go about it. There's just a lot of very specific traits about someone's handwriting that you might not really think about. And they use these like small detailed changes to draw comparisons. So one of them is letter form. So it's just the shape of the letters that you're making, which I think this is probably the most obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, if you're the different heights of tall letters versus short letters and things like that, um, there's line form, which includes how dark the lines are. So I didn't really think about this, but this makes sense. It kind of indicates how much pressure that uh, a person is writing yeah, with. Okay. Uh, and people yes. write the with different pressure. speeds and different pressures. So they can use this to sort of as another you know, thing to pin it on someone. And then there's formatting, which is like the spacing that you put between letters, the spacing you put between words and the placement of words, like relative to the margin lines or on an empty page and stuff like that. Um, And it also considers like the strokes between the letters, like how fast is someone writing? How slow is someone writing? Things like that. So, So Sean, yeah, really quick. I was going to say before we kind of got into this is that, you know, what's to deter a suspect from just sort of altering their handwriting style mm-hmm. you know because obviously if they're being asked to write something then it, it's obviously with the end goal of trying to relate it to some piece of evidence right but then now that you bring up all of the factors that come into play when conducting this type of analysis it would be really difficult to shift those sort of habituary writing instincts just like on the spot right yeah so that's one of the things is like especially in the movie they actually their handwriting sample that they used for the main suspect what was his name arthur lee allen Mm -hmm. i think um they used handwriting samples that they from letters that he had written that they obtained during a search warrant so they found like letters from his house they didn't like sit him down and make him write but the biggest thing that you bring up pace with handwriting is that people can try and make forgeries or copies or change their handwriting and so there are like key things that uh an analyst look for one of them is shaky lines dark and thick uh starts or finishes to words and a lot of pen lifts so uh. you can it's it's not necessarily indicative you, you wouldn't necessarily know that something matched or didn't match, but you would be able to tell that someone is intentionally trying to alter their writing style yeah, because yeah. they're just being more careful about the way they're writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Penlifts yeah. is one that like makes so much sense to me, right? Like if you're right, exactly. faking handwriting, then you're not doing the sort of like natural movements that you typically do. So your pen is <laughs> yeah, over and exactly. over exactly. Like you're trying to just write really slowly, really carefully. And sometimes if you're like writing over something to mimic a different letter you might like it might look like you're trying to trace something just by the way your lines look for the letters Ah, okay right actually come to think of it i'm pretty sure that i do the pen lift thing whenever i'm signing my name or attempting to actually sign it in cursive because i've forgotten how to write in cursive oh so of course oh it's cool signing your name you just do a big first letter and a squiggle and then a no i know i know no squiggle no trust last name letter I do that. I definitely do that. <laughs> um, but whenever I actually attempt to 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 write an actual cursive, I pause like three or four times throughout writing it because, like, huh? Like, do I do I do the little the little loop for the H? I don't know. I can't decide. I'm just, it would look like com- a complete just 
a, a bold-faced liar is trying right. to spell out my name. Yeah. That's that's what I like about signing my first name is because there are three N's in it, which means – and just an E and an O, which means I get two loops and a shitload of squiggles, and then that's that's my fucking signature. You're just all squiggles, man. <laughs> it's just all squiggles. <laughs> yeah, if I had to write something that wasn't my name, I would be pausing just to remember what the letters look like in cursive, Correct. like mm-hmm. what I'm supposed Correct. to be doing. Like Q. I, I have definitely Q. like – cheated on letters and just wrote a print letter and then just connected it <laughs> like i'll just put a line from this like pe- people will know like <laughs> you're fucking eight <laughs> yeah you know i mean i, I could do my name but it's like my name's a skill of s's like it's a completely useless skill to have why are they yeah. teaching children how to write in cursive uh, hey guess what pace they aren't what? anymore <laughs> actually so uh they've started picking cursive back up as a curriculum and the reason is is because uh Younger children in schools are shitty at handwriting. Like they're bad at writing full sentences and writing everything out in plain English rather than like shortening everything. So they're bringing cursive back as an exercise in improving handwriting. Interesting. Yep. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to bring up one more thing about the handwriting thing. That that basically covers everything. They just look for extremely small details in the writing. Mm-hmm. But so this information is from the Crime Museum website. So it's crimemuseum.org. Um, and one interesting thing that was actually kind of pertinent in the movie, they like alluded to this, but then just like everything else in the movie, just nothing ever came of it. Right. Um, they say that for simulation of handwriting, other factors include drugs, exhaustion, or illness, which can make someone's handwriting look different, so, which makes sense, right? If you're like extremely drunk and you're writing something, you might have changes to the way you're writing. And in the movie... They when they keep looking at the um, the handwriting samples for someone who they think is the Zodiac killer and they're not matching the letters for the cipher with the ciphers, they start suggesting that like maybe this person is either writing with two different hands or he's in a different state of mind when he's uh, like the Zodiac mm-hmm. killer. Mm-hmm. And they sort of like mention this offhand in the movie. Right. They have no way. That's just like speculation. They have no way to actually prove that. Right, right, right. So nothing ever comes of it. But it is interesting to see that like your state of mind can influence your handwriting to the point where it might make it look like your handwriting doesn't match itself. So, right. That's a good point. Yeah, it's I thought really that was interesting. It's really and interesting. as basically as much science as I could drag out of this movie. Hey, it's it's good, Sean. It's good. No, that it's was good. good. Oh, thanks, guys. It's important. We'll thank the Crime it's Museum. Important. I don't know where this is, but it's just that they were able to nail down crimemuseum.org, so I'm pretty sure they're legit. Oh, I they mean, have to be. I'm honestly not surprised because you're very good at what you do. Oh, oh thanks. Mm-hmm. They even have updated yep. copyright from 2017. That's pretty close. It's pretty recent. Two years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I believe it. <laughs> no reason not to. Cool. Killing it. We're not trained to be skeptical at all. As human beings. <laughs> well, listen, if you want to be skeptical skeptical about something, why don't we talk about the other things we have planned for this episode? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. let's just let's let's ease into let's ease into it. Okay. okay? Let's Maybe ease we into should it. preface by saying the entire reason we're doing this episode is that one of our patrons, mm-hmm. Lauren Pace, wanted us to discuss astrology. <laughs> and we will. We are going to do that. Yeah, we're gonna we're definitely gonna talk about the science of astrology after we cover all the science yes. and um zodiac but and i can go through this fairly quickly i just i wanted i want to discuss with you guys just before we jump into astrology which is why the ciphers that were put together 
by the Zodiac were so A, difficult to solve, and B, still give people trouble today. And mm. I'm going to give a spoiler. It's not because they were clever <laughs> ciphers. <laughs> uh, they were not done by some sort of master like cryptographer with this with with this with this, this guy whatever his name was because we still don't know. Here's just like so some some base reasons as to why they were impossible to solve. What one is that they were made up, right? <laughs> right. They were completely made up based upon just sort of pairing uh, letters uh, with varying symbols, and the symbols were sourced from varying alphabets, including uh, zodiac symbols. Ah, um, is, interesting. Yeah, uh, that was just one of the subsets of, of types of uh, characters that were included in these ciphers. But some of them were just made up symbols, mm-hmm. like they were just like circles with like the top left like quadrant of the circle filled in, and then he would like do that for all the quadrants, you know, and just like just make up these sort of things, mm-hmm. and then he would pair them all together into these ciphers that got published in these San Francisco Bay Area. Newspapers. The other reason that they were tricky is because they had, there were unique symbols. There were four total ciphers. There were unique symbols used across all of the ciphers. And some of them were so short that that you couldn't, you simply couldn't make sense of them. There were infinite numbers of, com- of combinations and, and, and possibilities mm-hmm. that these would have led to. And sometimes he would even like follow eight lines of like meaningful text with a bunch of just gibberish to throw people off. So we'd have a bunch of fake, bunch of fake lines of, of cipher symbols that didn't mean anything, so that you would make the rest of it difficult to interpret. <clears throat> um, wow, what a dick! Yeah, I know. That's I know. Great. <laughs> yeah, like aside from murdering people, he's also just like a huge asshole. That's that's correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst kind of passive aggressive asshole that makes his makes his code difficult to solve. He also he also couldn't spell very well, so there were spelling errors, which made well. Let's not get on him for that. I mean, that's even you know, he's more only difficult. Human. No, I know, but still, still, it was it's 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 just you. It's it's one thing to try to solve a cipher that has perfect grammar, and then one to inter, to anticipate spelling errors and where they might actually happen. So again, like I said, there were four ciphers, right? Uh-huh. Um, the first one was 13 characters, and this one actually led off with my name is. So it's kind of that. That was the teaser. What? Right? Yes. I, I, my name is? Who? Who? My name is? Mikawika. <laughs> Zodiac Killer. Ted Cruz. Thank you. Oh, my oh God. Boy. I'm glad we finished that. I'm glad we finished. So I always prefer to finish. Um, oh, great. So... <laughs> The this one this one this cipher this first one was only thirteen characters mm-hmm. after my name is, and so and the problem was I think is that like the majority of these were unique characters. So so just imagine having thirteen fake made up symbols, right? Mm-hmm. Most right. of them being different, and then trying to assign them to letters just randomly, like for like to try to solve this. Yeah, that's... I mean that's. Just like not That's, really, you basically are like, okay, well, his name probably has thirteen letters in it, unless some of these symbols don't actually even correspond to like right. single letters, <laughs> which they like, didn't know either. Like, yeah, you which you don't know. Like it could be pairs. You don't know what the symbol starts and ends necessarily. Like yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so that's a problem. That 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 cipher, the first one, that that first cipher demonstrates that problem. The other wow. problem. Mm-hmm. It came this like similar problem came up in the next cipher, which is only thirty two characters, which supposedly led to the location of a hidden bomb, right? Um, and out of oh, those yeah. thirty two characters, 
29 of them were unique. So you, there just wasn't, the, yeah, wasn't you just much have no to solve. Reference. Like you can't yes. narrow stuff down. You, in order, the, the point with solving these ciphers is you have to be able to recognize patterns. You have to be mm-hmm. able to recognize repeated symbols and the context surrounding those repeated symbols and what it could possibly mean. And without that, it's just a string of bullshit, <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm. which is what these first two were. So it's no wonder that they couldn't really figure out what it was. The, the, the other sort of, I guess, tricky aspects can't... The, 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 let me say, there was a cipher that did get at least mostly solved. Um, and that was the third one uh, that had 408 characters. And this makes sense because it's a much larger cipher with a lot of repeated symbols. Yeah. So you could put together what it meant... Um, and this one was solved by, I think, a high school teacher and her husband. That's right. Yeah. They mentioned that in the um, movie as well. And, and that was true for, for the movie. And that, from the movie, that is actually um, how that happened. And they figured out, this is the first cipher that actually led to a lot of like important discoveries about how he was doing this. So this cipher was a uh, homophonic substitution cipher, uh, essentially meaning that like, most of the time, one symbol did mean one character or one letter, okay. as we discussed, Sean and Kenan. Um, mm-hmm. But another problem was is that sometimes, this, like while it was like one character per letter, some, sometimes multiple symbols corresponded to the same letter, uh, which was also tricky and nonsensical whenever it was just made up. Um, right. And you combine this with the fact that he was a bad speller, um and like 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 for example and and he would also sometimes mistake and like missed miswrite some symbols that looked similar to one another for another symbol mm-hmm. so like the symbol for s and a looked very very similar so he would type like moat instead of most uh instead of most <laughs> um so you just had things like that happening which it, so th- the point that I'm trying to make with this whole discussion mm-hmm. is that it wasn't for our lack of understanding to uh, understand ciphers and, and our ability to recognize patterns. It was that these ciphers were so poorly put together and so uh, restrictive in what they could possibly mean and how they could be interpreted that it just didn't, it didn't pan out for that reason. That makes sense. Yes, like you need it does to make have <laughs> some sort of some sort of key to or jumping off point, which like if you don't have, then right. it's just what's the point? So. Right. Yeah, you have nothing exactly. to go off of for everything else. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the yep. stuff he was writing was just bullshit. Also, right? Like they talk about that in the movie. Like he's t- trying to like, oh, this cipher will lead you to where a bomb is stored, and like no one knows what the cipher said. But then there was nothing that was linking the Zodiac killer to a bomb. Like. Yeah. 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 He right. also it's he just, also spoke a lot of shit. Like he he, he would just say that yes. oh I did this or like oh I'm going to do this and then it would never happen even though people were scrambling to try and prevent it and and right. and solve the ciphers. Right. It's it's actually kind of sad because you know you have this guy out there and he's killing people and he's providing you these clues but the clues are so useless and you're putting so much effort into solving them, and mm-hmm. which is it, which is essentially futile. Um, it's it's actually kind of depressing. Yeah. Well, um, and then it really got to the point where you're like, people were definitely murdered, but is this all the same guy? Like, because he would take credits for other murders that had been published yeah. in the newspaper. So then people are like, this isn't an OG Zodiac murder. And then there are other crazy people who are trying to imitate the Zodiac killer. And send shit in, and they're like, "Well, this is fucking fake news. This isn't the real guy." So, 
Right. People just made it, everyone made it hard for everyone to solve. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And there are, if you have an interest, there's still one, um, there's still one cipher that people think could be solved uh, that hasn't yet been solved. There are forums that are dedicated to this, this entire topic, uh, uh, which we would be <laughs> happy to direct you to. Yeah, you can turn it into Jake Gyllenhaal, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Man, exactly I can't believe right. people would like pick one specific tiny thing to devote years of their life to like that. That's insane. That seems crazy, doesn't it? So mm-hmm. weird. What a bonkers thing. Um, but now that we've gotten through and covered some mm-hmm. of the interesting mm-hmm. scientific aspects of this film, uh, Kenan, I think it'd be a really good time to talk about what we came to discuss here today. Mm-hmm. The science behind astrology is, I think, what yes, we're here for. Yes, because that is some of the symbols that were used by the Zodiac Killer, which do correspond to what, Kenan? What's the history behind these symbols? What's the history of Cinco de Mayo? So listen, astrology is a very complex, (laughs) scientifically-based system of uh, correspondences between celestial observations and events that happen uh, here on Earth or just throughout the universe in general. Now, Um, Kenan, I do want to remind you that the audience cannot hear the air quotes that you're doing. (laughs) That's right. You're going to have to emphasize this what i do want to talk about if we're going to be if we're going to if we're going to talk about real things that are grounded in reality um and i'm sorry everyone in advance for hurting your feelings by telling you astrology is fake um but but there is there is a very that's you can't prove i said it there is a very interesting history behind astrology that uh i was forced to read about because of the subject matter for this pod the specific podcast um, but turns out there's actually, and I mean, actually this part's not a surprise. There's a long, long, long history associated with astrology. Um, and it's actually thought that, uh, the Babylonians had established the first organized system of astrology. What's very, very cool about the, uh, Babylonians in general. It's a cool that, sounding name. Yeah. Oh, for I thought starters, you were asking me. <laughs> it's a very good sounding name, but also the Babylonians did a lot of work in general for early scientific study. And a lot of it happened to circle around this idea of astrology, which eventually became a more scientifically grounded study of of astronomy. So what's kind of neat is that early astrology, so now what we understand is like natal astrology. So this idea that where you're born, when you're born, and what the stars looked like at that time kind of dictate your personality, your future, your weaknesses, strengths, that kind of thing. Early Babylonian astrology were actually more attributed uh, attributed to... uh, this idea that the symbols associated with like uh, astrological like uh, or things associated with astrological signs more closely represented seasonal tasks and things that have to occur at specific times uh, throughout the year. So you can think of this as something that might link like harvesting or fishing or uh, when you were supposed to plant crops and things like that uh, and sort of served as more of an almanac. But because of that, they wanted to look further into the future. So this idea that they could use uh, what they know about the positions of the planets and the positions of the stars to then predict what those would look like in the future, they could then generate an almanac of when they were supposed to do specific tasks throughout their day-to-day based on those predictions. And that's actually where the science started to enter into this because uh, early Babylonians actually did a lot of work 
to start predicting where the planets and the stars would end up uh, further into the future, and actually with reasonable accuracy. So there's this idea in astronomy and uh, celestial navigation that are uh, that known as uh, an ephemeris, uh, so the plural here being ephemerides, and the idea is that this can tell you the trajectory of naturally occurring astronomical objects, as well as like satellites and things like that. And these people actually began predicting where these where planets and where stars would show up based on previous evidence but also based on mathematical calculations so not only is some of the most like earliest understandings of what we have about how uh, celestial bodies move and work uh, came from this study but also the earliest type of mechanical computing devices so things like wow. the abacus and stuff like that were used in predicting where these things would show up based on a complex set of mathematical formulae that these these people came up with. In so order they to were able positions. to like extrapolate based on like the historical information that they had. They could mm-hmm. like infer some actual mathematics about the patterns that they were seeing over years and years of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And actually, it's kind of neat because uh, they uh, Babylonian astronomers. Although there's not a lot left, there's a lot of uh, what what does exist is an account of these like astrono- uh, astronomical studies in the form of diaries and also procedural texts that will talk about like okay this happens then this happens and then we predict that this will happen and this will happen and you can like go back and see that they go yes that's correct we predicted the movement of the stars correctly based on these formulae uh, and there's a lot of people who would argue that like early on this is one of the first establishments of like scientific theory, this idea that you are looking for an observation, you're predicting that observation based on empirical evidence, and then you are waiting for that observation to come around and determining whether or not you were correct. Um, So in a way, astrology contributed to the birth of science. Wow. That is, you know what? That's a really, people should really take that. take that and run with it because because that's probably the most science you're ever going to get out of astrology and it turns out it's the birth of all science of all science yeah well it's it's more of just i mean that's that's an important distinction to make because astrology it was arguably birthed from the idea of astronomy right i mean astronomy is just broadly this the study of things outside of earth's atmosphere right like celestial bodies in general just for just in, in general, right? Like not specifically in regards to like its effect on Earth. Like that's where the astrology aspect comes in, right? Is is to, is to what degree the movement of those bodies mm-hmm. affects what happens here on Earth. And I guess if the, that's what the Babylonians are trying to learn and accomplish, then yes, the goals of astrology did lend to the foundations of modern science. Yeah, I think the in in general like like the crossover became from where you have astrology which is this idea that you can divine information from celestial bodies is that astronomy is this idea that you can divine in massive quotations observable real world information from studying those right. same those same events. Right. Um so this idea, obviously, is what we know as modern astrology. But a lot of these things have had like very close roots back to uh, Sumerian, Mesopotamian um, studies into early astrology, um, which is actually it's kind of cool because a lot of what it's it, it's thought that a lot of what you know the Greeks and Romans uh, took 
uh, and ran with for as far as astrology and astronomy is concerned were learned from early Mesopotamians. So there is a uh, famous Greek historian named uh, Herodotus who wrote a lot, obviously, about everything happening around that time. But a lot of what he wrote about, too, is that where Gre- the Greeks got a lot of their information on how they uh, – a lot of the things that they believe, their belief systems and science and things like that. Uh, and he wrote that the Greeks actually pulled a lot of what they understood – about how the day is split into like two halves of 12 uh, or there's 365 days in a year, quote unquote, uh, from early Mesopotamian studies in mm-hmm. astrology and then astronomy, which is fucking buck wild. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. Well, I'll, n- I'll never make fun of astrology again, Kenan. You've got me. See, there I don't you go. believe that. You've so, convinced me. Anything you say now that will be based in astrology, I will just take without question. You should. It's fact. all real. It's all actually real. Oh, um, okay. One of the other like really interesting things, and uh, one of the reasons I like this uh, is because it's very representative. What I'm about to tell you is very representative of, I think, how Western, like Western science and Western history uh, historians have kind of basically taken everything um, like a lot of stuff from the East and just chopped and screwed it for their own uses, uh, which yeah. we all know happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't sound familiar it's, at all. Yeah. And still fucking happens, but actually like 13th century astrology had become part of medical practice in Europe during the medieval and Renaissance eras. And so actually a lot of doctors would combine, uh, Galenic medicine. So this is medical practices that come from a Greek physician named, uh, known as alias Galenus, who is like widely regarded as, uh, one of the best early, uh, medical researchers and physiologists. They would take a lot of these practices and combine them with studies of the stars. And so by the 1500s, physicians in Europe were actually required by law to calculate the position of the moon before carrying out surgeries. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. They what a actually, cool and useful thing. They had this whole, well, this is on a different podcast, but How dare they, you? I actually listened to a podcast that was talking about astrological medicine, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. So, Oof. Yeah, it's pretty wild how pervasive That hurts me. And still today, not in medicine, but today in society. Yeah, yeah sure. Culturally. Yeah. Culturally. And I was going to go into this whole thing about Myers-Briggs and how like other personality indicators are more, uh, more steeped in scientific study. And obviously, like in psychology, there's all these opinions about whether or not they're truly representative and they're not meant to be predictive. They're kind of just meant to be like boiling down what your personality is. But we don't really have time for that. So maybe that's for another podcast. As a quick aside, speaking of looking at wild psychological personality things, when I was researching the handwriting analysis, Mm -hmm. there's this thing called graphology, (sighs) which is not real, but it's basically people try, which kept coming up when I was looking at forensic handwriting analysis. Sure. It's essentially the process of like looking at someone's handwriting and trying to determine personality traits about them based on their handwriting, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like not a realistic way to determine someone's personality traits but like it just kept coming up when i was looking for it it's just funny to see that like i don't know just another juxtaposition of Mm -hmm. like actual science and fake science but from very similar things yeah i mean a lot of fake science has roots in actual science it's just for sure it really does a lot of the time because it's just it makes logical sense to someone first and that's why they start looking into it right um so well, and Sean, that also makes me think of of uh, phrenology, which is where you can 
feel the bumps yeah. on someone's skull in order to dictate aspects of their personality. Yeah, right? uh, it was that was like really racist too. Oh, yeah, that was that like was ridiculous. Like some actual racist shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like also fa- it was like fake science and racist. So it was just a, a real twofer. Yep. God. Yeah, they covered a lot of ground with that one, didn't they? Yeah, really. Cool. They were like, this isn't good enough, just pseudoscience. We should really make it racist, too. We should just really <laughs> dig in our heels with the awful aspect of this. Ugh. Yikes. Well, cool. I, You know what, guys? I think that us, m- myself and the listeners, probably learned a lot more about science than they thought they were going to from the movie Zodiac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised. Hell yeah. Good. I love it. Well, I mean... I feel like we have to address the fucking uh, uh, hills like white elephants in the room um, and talk about <laughs> the uh, our astrological signs, right? I think that's a really good idea. I'm sure the listeners are dying to know exactly which celestial bodies dictate our personalities. Yeah, I feel like that's it's pre- we're pretty much fucking required at this point. Okay. Um, so well, I have this I can't have be very accurate. Taken it upon myself to um to look up the uh look up you know your uh, birth charts specifically. I think we should do Sean first. Our horoscopes. <clears throat> no, this is your natal chart. So there's oh. a couple of different types of astrology, Sean, just so you just so you know. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, Sean. Yeah, and uh within uh astrology there's something known as horoscopic atro- astrology, and there are four different types of hor- horoscopic astrology, and one of them is natal astrology, which is what we're going to cover today. There's four different types. There are. I don't want to talk about them Jesus because they're Christ. all dumb. <laughs> but this one is natal astrology is the one that like western culture has most run with has run with the most recently so okay lay it on me okay cool so sean based on all the information that you've given me and the information that i specifically asked your father for in a text message without (laughs) communicating that to you stop harassing my dad (laughs) that's cool we're gonna hang out uh you are your sun sign is aries which makes a lot of sense uh really quick before is, we go into these, can you explain what a sun and a moon sign are, please? Yes, I can do that. So your sun sign uh, is the, it sort of represents your sense of indivi- or individuality. It's like who you are uh, at your best. Your um, moon sign is like your secret self. It's like your emotional self. And your rising <laughs> sign or your ascendant sign is who you project to people around you. So. Okay, yeah. I, again, Kenneth was just doing air quotes like the whole time. No, so, no, no. This is all real. So, so best self, secret self, mm-hmm. projected self. Yeah, that's right. like boiling it down, but that's basically it. So, well, um, we need to simplify it because yes. I don't have time for this. Aries enjoys a challenge. They're happiest when their lives are moving forward and active. They have a childlike quality. It's often quite charming. Ambitious, <laughs> self-willed, stubborn, <laughs> obstinate, and tenacious. <laughs> Wait, those are, I feel like those are juxtaposing things. Listen, you're also nervous. You have a provoking nature. You're restless. Uh, but because you have an ascendant sign in Virgo, your rising sign is Virgo, you're more particular. Can't can't think of a time that I've seen that. Mm, ordered weird. and mild-mannered, at least in appearance. So I'm provocative and mild-mannered? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I think provocative as in, like, uh, not sexy, but like yes, no, no. I know. I mean, like, like provoking discussion and arguments and stuff. Like, here's here's this real good shit though. The really good shit. So your, uh-huh. your moon is in Virgo. Um, mm-hmm. You have a very good memory. Scientific but, and medical uh, studies preferred above all others. 
Humble, Ooh. moderate, calm, reserved, emotionally disciplined, willing to help, devoted, and gentle. Uh, I like this. <laughs> quick to become annoyed, upset, and worried, and too shy. Kenan, this is all bullshit. What are you talking <laughs> this is about? This all uh-huh. fucking you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little hitting close to home here. Feeling yeah, like that last part was pretty close for you, Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think quick to become annoyed is probably like a key key point here. Yeah, especially when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm another, really, another key I'm thing really about, irritable when I'm sleepy. That's true. Another and key you're thing really irritable Aries whenever they, like uh, everything's a fucking competition. So, yeah, I mean everything is a competition. Exactly. We're in a capitalist society, Kenan. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure that's why you're that way, Sean. That's not that's... at all. I'm just. <laughs> I'm not like this because of the stars. Of the stars. I'm like this because of <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> yeah, you think capitalism controls me? <laughs> <laughs> I exist outside the system. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. from one, I need to hear paces now. Yeah. From one bullshit ideology to the next. Okay. So Pace Here knows a little bit more about his, I think, already. But his sun sign is in uh, is Leo. Uh, his moon sign is Scorpio, and his rising sign is Sagittarius. Yeah, okay, isn't cool. Sagittarius the the centaur lad? He's mm-hmm. the centaur boy, the horseman. So. Yeah, he's the horseman. Right? He's got pace, the, pace, the bow pace, and pace arrow. Cannon. If you don't read the descriptions, I'm not going to know what any of that means. Okay, that's fair. So, short description. uh, Masterful, likes authority. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yep. Aspires towards an ideal, likes to give advice, is honest, frank, loyal, open, and sincere. Possible issues. Vanity, arrogance, presumption, and disdain for others. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I literally have no idea what you're talking about. Be- because you have a Sagittarius ascendant, you are uh, your sincerity is notable and attractive. You meet the world directly and straightforward, and your charm is hard to resist. You want quick results. You're enthusiastic. Losing is not an option, so you'll just keep trying. Uh, and you need a lot of time to, for self-reflection, uh, to be self-soothing, and to be calm and objective. Oh, that hurts me so. I didn't good. realize you had a copy of Pace's biography in front of you. <laughs> How did, where did you find this? Did you find this on the internet? Can we burn? Mm-hmm. Can we burn the internet? We can't burn. Oh, the this internet. is from Pace's uh, t- 2006 Zanga entry. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck yeah! Jeez. All right, Kenneth, we have to hear yours now. Oh no, to, that it's was okay. actually pretty spot on for like. See. Uh, Honestly, part of the, my thing with these is I feel like they drop so many descriptive terms that like some of them are going to be overlapping with your personality. But mm. you're right when you read the two of them side by side with me and Pace, who I would say have different personalities in general. Those hit pretty close to home. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah I'm see, curious to see what yours is. Astrology's real. So, uh... I, my sun sign is Aquarius, my moon sign is Sagittarius, and my ascendant sign is Gemini. Um, so this means... Ooh. I'm going to read you my description. I'm ready. Uh, short description of my sun sign. Independent, autonomous, and has progressive ideas. Uh, my weaknesses yep, are... Like you. I'm unusual, I'm rebellious, and I have a revolutionary spirit. Doesn't sound <laughs> no, like weaknesses. No. No. Those all this sound great. Fucking, you're, you have to be handpicking these terms, Ken. No, actually, I read all of those. Here, I'll read all this too. Uh, so my moon is in Sagittarius, like, may like to throw himself into the unknown and into adventure, is agile, tough, and enthusiastic, <laughs> a- attracted to long voyages to discovering the unknown, potential issues, may take great risks in throwing himself into the unknown and into adventure, audacious, <laughs> bold, and rebellious, unable to stay in one place, always ready to risk everything to achieve his goal. Fuck me. 
I'm fuck me. Cool. Kenan, you know what? If I weren't such like a hardcore scientist, I would start to believe the ast- astrology horoscopes you're giving us right now. I mean, it makes sense. It describes me as very cool, and I am very cool. So, yeah. well, cool. That's one way to describe it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sounds, sounds very, it actually says radical. I'm pretty sure. It did say bold. I think it said handsome bold. in here. I can't find where it's. Are you like a type of a, coffee? It's a picture <laughs> of a. It's a picture <laughs> of a Dorito. Bold new handsome N- coffee. Nutty notes. <laughs> <laughs> Got a real nice roast on this, Kenan. It's a solid roast on this, Kenan. Mm. Yeah. Well, Kenan, thank you, I guess, for reading those. Yeah, dude. Well, I got big, you. I guess. I know I everything about astrology. Mm. My biggest fear is that someone's going to be listening to this and be like, wow, that really nailed their personalities. I guess astrology is real. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so, fine. No, it's not, but it's okay. For that those would be you, cool if it was. I'm for, not saying it wouldn't be cool. I'm just, it's not. But it's, it would be cool. For those of you who are actually into astrology, Sean, out of the three of us, is the only person with kind of a normal chart. Uh, If you look at Paces, he has Virgo or Scorpio in like three fucking houses, and then three of them in uh, Capricorn. But mine is just like five houses of worth of Capricorn and then two Taurus. So I don't know what any of that means. No clue. That's okay. It's not for you. It's for all my gay friends. It's because I'm an Aries, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. It's because I'm an Aries. You're stubborn and obstinate. Robbie Zinna is also an Aries and thinks astrology is horseshit. I'm also easily annoyed by not understanding the astrology terms <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> I don't understand. This is crap. This is mad. Damn it. Sounds like All an right. angry dad, Sean. The ornery oh, old man. Hey, we can't roast my dad. He's like our number one. <laughs> no, I said you're teacher. sounding like an angry dad right now. Oh, oh mm-hmm. I see. I thought mm-hmm. you said I sound mm-hmm. like my dad. No, I, I mean, was like, no. hey, not too far off, but we can't roast him on. I was going to say, you give it a short amount of time, and I'm sure you'll be exactly the same. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Great. I'm glad enough that we about, really... Enough about this. We have to do the ratings. Yeah, I think... Well, hold on. There was one other thing that I want to read it on Pace's chart in particular, and that's... <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, very good. Look, we're here. The ratings have arrived. We're in the rating zone. Sean, please mm-hmm. tell me what you thought of this wonderful movie based on astrology. <laughs> this historical documentary about astrology was very informative. <laughs> um, I would say the science in the movie. So the only... What I actually did like about this movie is... Because they're covering like an actual case, they did a pretty good job not rushing to conclusions based on circumstantial evidence. So I really like the like scientific because that's like a scientific methodology that's being applied to forensic science, Mm -hmm. which I really like that they did it that way. Like obviously the police officers wanted this suspect to be the killer like they thought it was him. Right. But they weren't able to actually arrest him on it because they the only evidence they had was like unmatched handwriting and like uh circumstantial evidence about someone being in the right location and knowing something and a partial fingerprint so i do like that it this Mm -hmm. wasn't like one of those police cases where like they had that evidence and just arrested somebody anyways and then 20 years later found out it wasn't the right person yeah um so that's sort of a real life thing but i also like that the science was that way so i'm gonna give the science like a two out of five. I feel like they used scientific forensic methods in this, but they also like the movie wasn't really about that. And like they talked about the handwriting 
analysis like it was like the end all be all of the entire case yeah which yeah. i don't think is really realistic so i'm just gonna give it a two out of five but to be honest it's a little arbitrary yeah that's as far fair. as my entertainment value mm-hmm. if you had asked me like halfway through the movie i probably would have given it a four out of five or actually like an eight out of ten i'm gonna give it like a six or seven out of ten Mm-hmm. because it went on way too long like it yeah. wasn't a bad movie yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. just that they just did the movie and then just did it again with jake gyllenhaal like he was literally investigating the exact same things that mark ruffalo had already investigated in the first half of the movie yeah it yep, just right. was really weird i don't know why they did that yep so. yeah so let's go six and a half out of ten okay good i'm glad you're back on the the 10 point rating scale i really enjoy that me too thanks kenan mm-hmm. <laughs> welcome home I'll, I'll go next. I'm going to be yeah. really quick because we have almost no time left of this episode. Um, oh, God. As far as science goes, I'm going to say, okay, we're going to do this the same way that we've done this in the past, and I'm learning from Sean here. Uh, I'm going to give this, the science in this movie, an 8 out of 10. Uh, and that's because huh. there was almost no science in it. And what science in it was a documentary. So it was accurate. <laughs> Yes, I guess, I guess. Yeah, there's that. And then I'm going to say that with the entertainment, I think I agree with Sean as far as uh, the movie goes. Like if, if I had not fallen asleep about halfway through the movie thinking it had been three hours and then woken up uh, to watch the rest of it later and realized there was an hour left of film, uh, I probably would have given <laughs> yeah. it a better rating. But instead, I'm going to give it a four out of ten because I'm really fucking angry about how long it is. Yeah, it's a fair it was just assessment. like unnecessarily long. Like it didn't add to the story or anything. Yeah, no. I will. I will say with a caveat though that I'm going to give the actors a nine out of ten. Yeah, no, they were good. They were good. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Robert, uh, Robert Downey doesn't need your affection, again, and He's 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 fine. He's he knows so good. He's good. I disagree. He needs my affection. <laughs> okay. I love him so much. Um, I I don't think that I need to add he's anything he's... else content wise to these ratings. I agree with your guys' assessments. I'm, I I can see both your perspective. I'd probably lean more towards Kenan's with the science because I think it any sort of forensic science that was involved here was covered in a very documentary esque fashion, so it mm-hmm. was fairly accurate. So I'm going to give it that. That four out of five, and then I will give for entertainment uh, three out of five, which is strong, but mostly because I actually really did enjoy the first half of the movie, and I do really like the actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. They did it good, um, and but it did just drag on for way too long and tell the same story multiple times, multiple iterations that just weren't necessary. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Fucking At get this it together, point, director of the Zodiac. I know. Yeah. Why? Tim Zodiac. Yeah, Jeremy Zodiac. Oh, sorry, Tim Zodiac. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy. <laughs> um, do we Classic have any questions? Jeremy. Should we yeah, go we over do. some questions? I feel like we do. We do. Um, do you guys want to go to Twitter first? Let's do it. Uh, the first comes from uh, a friend of ours, Tori Mackle, uh, at Skinny Dogs, where the O is a zero. Thank you for your questions, Tori, friend of the show. Uh, first, what modern techniques could be used to solve a Zodiac Cipher. Um, So I kind of discussed briefly why it was difficult to solve. Normally what would have been done is you can basically, there's software that exists that will basically run continual just like combinations of of, of what these ciphers could uh, and what each character could represent. The problem with that is that a lot of those are based upon uh, work, what are known as uh, bigrams and trigrams or essentially like two or three of the same character appearing more than once Mm -hmm. uh, in a row. 
and that didn't really happen uh, that much at all with these ciphers. So it kind of comes down to it's not do we have the technology or modern technology to be able to solve it. We would if the cipher was something, a message that was complex enough or well-constructed enough to actually solve, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not a technology limitation. It's a cipher limitation. Right. So the cipher is just like garbage. Right. Exactly. Got it. Um, yes. So well, thank cool. you for that first question, Tori. And then yeah, the, thanks, Tori. The other question uh, was on a scale of one to ten, how handsome is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in this film? Interesting. Arguably a harder question. Uh, mm. Well, it's not for me. I'm not really into his type, per se. I think he's. I mean, he's fine, but I didn't. I didn't like the facial hair in him in this film. Hmm. I think it was a little much. He's trying too hard as he was getting older. I know that's why they did it to make him look older, but I didn't like it. Uh, he's too baby. He's a baby boy. Well, I was gonna say so, for the question for you might be like a, a situational then, right? Like if we looked at a the article yeah, but, that I'm looking at, which is Jake Gyllenhaal through the years. Um, ah, sure. <laughs> then, sure. You know, based he's, on, I mean, in October Sky, he's like a very small child, but also in Southpaw, he's a very strong, strong boy with a big beard. Uh, so, I, so Pace would perform more like a Bubble Boy esque Jake Gyllenhaal. No, it's I, the, I'm really saying the wacky I don't. Hair maybe I, sorry. Let likes. me let me let me uh, do that again. I don't necessarily think Jake Gyllenhaal is attractive. His facial structure—it's not my uh, favorite. Ah, okay. It's not okay, my so favorite. On a scale of one to ten. Uh, I'm going to give him a hard six. Hmm. Interesting. That's pretty nice. That's not bad. Yeah, I mean, he's not unattractive, but he's not At least not it was like... a hard six. Yeah, dude. I've always got a hard six for Jakey G. Nice, <laughs> nice, 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 nice. All right, Kenan. Okay, Let's listen. Go. All right. I'm going to give... I'm going to do... I'm going to go situational here, okay? Um, I'm going to give uh, Southpaw era uh, Jakey G. I'm going to give him a seven out of ten. Because he's a strong boy, but he's too strong yeah. for me. I'm going to give Velvet Buzzsaw Jakey G, which is a more recent movie, 2019. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 because he plays a, a cute, wispy boy. Uh, but we're going to have to go back and look at post-Southpaw uh, and I think uh, the brother-sisters era, 2018, Jakey G, where he's got <laughs> that good, Christ. good facial hair and a good, good beard, and that gets a 10 out of 10 for sure. Ah, wow. Because wow. he looks like a tough lad. All right. Okay. Sean, what do you uh, think? I honestly don't even know how to rate this because, like, <laughs> I'm not attracted to Jake Gyllenhaal, but <laughs> I'm gonna like try and get his perceived attraction as the straightest so, member of the group. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with like perceived. I mean, he definitely. I would not. I would. I would like guess he's a good-looking guy, but mm-hmm. honestly, the way I'm gonna do this is in the movie. He is essentially a really derpy, socially awkward guy who focuses on, on nothing except for these unsolved murders. And somehow in the interim, this woman goes on a terrible date with him, marries him, and has multiple kids with him. So he must be really fucking hot. <laughs> like She was what? attractive. His wife Yeah, but attractive. I'm saying he must be really hot because he was literally like just a terrible father slash husband the entire time. And she was just he like, was. I love it. I it's love a different it. Culture he was, he must have just time, been though. a tender lover leading up to, up to being a bad dad. A tender lover. Tender, tender lover. lovers and bad dads. Mm-hmm. Title of your yeah. Sex so I guess like seven. I don't know. <laughs> I have literally no idea. Great. Cool. Perfect. All right. Um, Sean, we got a question from your from your padre. Yes, I will read it because it's on Facebook. Perfect. So, Thank you. friend and patron of the show, Jack Crossan asks. 
Can you guys discuss the relationship between astrology and the early development of astronomy? How did astrology influence guys like Johannes Kepler and Copernicus? Ooh. It's a tough question. It's a tough question because we aren't a history podcast, but... But we are not. It is still an interesting proposition. Um, it is. I'm, I think that both of these lads were alive around the time where essentially the two fields were starting to diverge. Uh, Copernicus was before before Kepler. Um, right. Uh, but Kepler, I think, is the more interesting one of the two because like Kepler was regarded as the last quote-unquote astronomer to believe in astrology, like at, at least in the, in, in the Western world. And because of this, you know, it's, it's so it, it's clear that astrology had an influence upon astronomy upon that time. They were kind of like they were very in, uh, intertwined because they both were based around the same actual celestial bodies. It was just the, the question of the influence that they right, had exactly. on the world it was around like the, us. It was like the impact of the positions of celestial bodies, like, yes. you know, from astronomy, which is like, this is an observation and then right. astrology was like, this is an observation. Let's figure out what it's doing to us. Okay. We have one last question. And this is from Kelly McArdle. And Friend of the this show. is a very good question, an interesting question. And that is, does it matter whether astrology has any basis in science? And do you see any value in its applications? Why or why not? Hmm. Why do you think that's for that's the first part of the question. Second part is. Why do you think it's become such an appealing way for younger people, particularly younger queer people, to define their identities? Um, and mm. do you think it's related to the fact that astrology is generally more accessible than the hard sciences? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a very good question. Which part of that would you want to tackle first? Well, I'm okay. I don't. I don't think I am uh, qualified to talk about how the queer population identifies with astrology because. I one I'm not queer and two I don't know shit about astrology so it's like <laughs> sort of a double I'm really out of my comfort zone here so well mm-hmm. Sean what about do you think that astrology let's say that um well you also don't care about astrology so maybe this is maybe you're the wrong well, person that's to just ask me. this like, question I, I don't think it's a, no, there's I get anything that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like people enjoying exactly reading and that's what and I'm astrology. getting at. yeah right like I don't think there's anything wrong with that I mean I would like take it to my grave that it has really nothing to do with science and is not beneficial to science or anything like that but that doesn't mean that it's like harmful for people to do it's the same thing as like when you're in middle school or elementary school and people have like the fortune teller like cootie catcher things and you're just reading each other's fortunes like yeah i think it sparks like an imaginative sort of like thought process which Mm -hmm. like when you're talking about astrology and it's like look out for these things and stuff like it sort of gets you thinking about certain things in a different light and i don't think it's like i think if you approach it approach it with some cautious mindfulness i guess like you're not looking to try and actually get advice on how to live your life from it but just sort of like more interested then i don't think it would be a problem yeah agreed i think like any system of beliefs there is an amount of stock that you can put into it or a stock that you can not put into it. And as long as you aren't harming anybody along the way, there's no real issue with it. Um, I think like belief systems like this definitely have their place. 
uh, in general because they serve all sorts of purposes between uh, from making people feel better about reality to giving them an outlet to giving them something like that's more like a hobbyist thing. Like most of the people I know who are into astrology just really got into it because it's fun and that's basically it. Um, right. And, and, right. And that goes through the entire gamut of anything that people practice like that. Right. So. Like, just because I have to have beliefs that are based in evidence doesn't mean that I can't understand that other people don't need that, you Mm -hmm. know? I just need that, (laughs) so... Yeah, and I think the idea that it is something that's, like, very accessible uh, is also also a very good point. Like, the, the idea that there are resources that are very easy to just pick up out there that, in general, as, like, a, uh, a system of information... Um, I'm being very careful about how I word this. Uh, like, there's a lot of information out there on the internet that allows it, people to get into it more easily than something like hard sciences, um, for sure. I mean, it's like, kind of unfortunate. I which think it sucks <laughs> in general, yeah. but it does. I, it does. I think that's like I, I think that's probably just because of the amount of people who are into subject X and subject Y. Like, there are a lot of people like us who are scientists or are very into science that are also very interested in communicating science to people. But there's also a fuckload of scientists out there who just want to do science and advance the field and keep it all in the family, so to speak, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah. I think mm-hmm. another problem is when you're talking about actual science, if you're putting information out there, it has to be scientifically accurate. Like, it has to be actually, like, there has to be a study. Someone has to have peer reviewed it. Like mm-hmm. people have to know that what you're saying is like based in science. But if you're talking about something that is not based in science, you can write an anecdote about anything. Like yeah. you can use anecdotal evidence, even if it's not something that someone is directly trying to deceive someone. It's just anecdotal evidence does not count as scientific evidence, but it does for non-science stuff. Mm-hmm. So, right. I think that's why it's just easier for someone to go write a blog about something because it doesn't have to be checked against anything. There's yeah. no, there's no process well, I, of like yeah, weeding out the chaff. Agreed. It might be more complicated than that because I think that I, you can make the argument that astrology isn't necessarily the goal of, of astrology is not to is, is not to make some sort of grand scientific claim. I think I, there's a, a couple things I want to say about the question. And so the first part being like, does it matter if it has any basis in science? And do you think do you see any value in its applications? I think it only matters if it has a basis in science if you're trying to use it to justify like uh, major life altering decisions that have like financial and health impacts upon other people. Yep. Um, I think that would be a line that would be crossed with, with it. But if you're using it for your own personal enjoyment and fulfillment and giving you a sense of, you know, direction or purpose, and you can channel that in a positive way, then I don't, I don't, I don't see yeah. any issues. Um, I think it's appealing for a lot of reasons that other similar sort of, exercises are appealing uh we mm-hmm. have things as complicated as you mentioned ken in the myers-briggs test which you know maybe you can argue is based on a little more science than astrology uh but then even things as simple as like a, a sorting hat quiz mm-hmm. you know it's 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 all these sort of features that you know people are people are seeking you know ways to ways to define themselves and things and ideas to identify that maybe they weren't aware of until they came across these fields of thought and then are able to identify with them and then you know, lead that into, you know, you know, make positive change in their own lives. And I think it's possible. It's a, it's a possible outlet of sure. astrology. Sure. Um, cool. And I, I think, think it is more accessible than the hard sciences for better or for worse. Yeah. I think we nailed that part of the question. What else, uh, what else is in there? You're supposed to talk about, uh, the queer community and astrology canon. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's, I mean, like everything is, is probably a more complicated 
question to answer than I'm going to sort of try and succinctly do so here. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we talked about accessibility earlier. I think the queer community would find astrology to be something that as a system of beliefs and a place for, uh, in essence, like a place for answers is something that is more accessible because it's spiritual in nature and not hierarchical in nature. Uh, So this idea that like standard religions have a lot of like biases or like gatekeeping that are often associated with them. Uh, astrology doesn't have any of that. So you have a lot of uh, people who may, who are queer, who may come from backgrounds that are like, say, based in Christianity or Islam or, or whatever, have a series of set of rules that ascribe, you know, how you can behave. And in particular, a lot of them are not accepting of uh, uh, LGBTQ individuals, whereas astrology does not have any of that. The idea is that it's connected to the universe in general, rather than a specific divine being in which rules may or may not be imposed. Obviously, there's a uh, a spectrum of belief systems based on any sort of religion that would be accepting or may, or, or may be accepting of this. But I think in general, astrology is way more accessible as a way for uh, queer individuals to kind of like understand themselves or like accept who they are uh, that right. standard religion right. may not offer. Well, I think that's pretty mm-hmm. insightful. I feel like people, people sometimes sort of crave a like spiritual... I mean, or religious style connection in their life, mm-hmm. even if the things that they have like grown up with aren't necessarily in line with uh, with what they th- believe. You know, yeah. like people are right. looking for something that is more in line. So yeah, for sure, that makes sense. Yeet! Wow, what a cool. Uh, I feel like we talked about a lot of shit yeah, on this we show. Did. This is gonna be a long episode. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. My headphones just made the beeping noise telling me that they're going to die. Time to stop recording. We the show. All right. Well, we got to answer one question before we uh, we wrap up. Uh, what fucking uh, movie uh, are we going to fucking watch or whatever next time? Uh, so next week on the podcast for our next episode, yep. we are going to be watching the movie Equilibrium. What? This was actually suggested to me by friend of the show, Zach Cope. Actually, patron. I believe. I believe he is a patron. I believe he's a patron. So, uh, thanks. That, that that was just not a Patreon suggestion. That was just Zach was hanging out with me, and we watched Equilibrium, and we realized that it's a perfect movie to do for the show. Mm-hmm. And right. Sean mentioned it, and I love that movie. So we're gonna fucking do it too. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So join us in two two weeks, like exactly, basically. Yep. For uh, Equilibrium, <laughs> that episode should come out on September eleventh. Okay, September 11th. Righty. <laughs> yes. Um, so get us a bunch yeah. of questions about, I think they do um, like mood-altering drugs maybe in that yes. movie? Yes, that is a pretty large theme in the movie. Yeah. Everyone injects themselves like hour, like daily on a regimented basis with mood-suppressing mm-hmm. drugs. So if you have any questions about mood suppression, mood-suppressing drugs, um, just sort of things like that, uh, that would be super pertinent. Yeah. Also, they do a thing called gun kata, which is a fake martial arts <laughs> on how to shoot people. So if you have questions wow. about gun kata, feel free to ask about that also. Yeah, <laughs> and this ep- this uh, astrology episode got me all horny for history. So uh, if you want to ask mm. uh, uh, any questions about the, the history or I guess like ideas behind the suppression of like art and, and expression and things like that, we could also talk about that as well. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Sure. Uh, but yeah, I guess we should thank uh, our patron Lauren Pace again because she suggested you. Zodiac. So she thank did. you for thank being you, a Lauren. patron and thanks for your suggestion. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, we should thank Otis McDonald for the use of his uh, song Third Eye Blimp as the intro and outro of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank all the patrons and all of our listeners mm-hmm. for just listening to the show, sticking with us. Uh, we appreciate it. And, you know, if you like the show, tell a friend, something like that. It really helps to spread the word. Also, we are now available on Spotify. Yes, we are. So if you tell your friends and they're like, uh, are they on Spotify? You just <laughs> go, yes. Why aren't you listening and following the show yet? Yeah, because you piece of you, shit. You piece of shit. And then you slap them in the face, mm-hmm. steal and then their they phone, get the message. and then subscribe to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> That's fucking right. With yeah. A hot okay. Iron. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but my headphones keep like beeping in my ears. <laughs> no, we, we cannot. We have to wrap it up. We have to wrap it up. Okay. Um, uh, anything else? Anything else, guys? I think we're good. Hit us up on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, oh, at our email at uh, realsciencecast at gmail.com with any of those questions. Um, Thanks, Kenneth. And we look forward to hearing from you. My name is Kenneth Smith. My name is Sean Crossan. And I'm Michael Pace. When do we decide I was born? I don't fucking remember. You're born January 31st. What time, nerd? Fuck. Fuck. In 1990. That time. Nap time. <laughs> I think it was, he was born in 89. 19. No, born in 19. 19. No, wait, you're right. You are born in 89. Yes, sir. Oh, shit. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte? Charlotte? <laughs> <laughs> well, tan my fur. You're turning Charlotte, Charlotte. Mm.